Okay, cue the banter. <laughs> we have so, to start uh, with the banter. Don't we? Yeah, you, I mean, we usually start with banter. Yeah. I mean, we have to have a point at which we laugh so that we can cut and go to the music. Well, if we wanted to laugh, we should have recorded the last 15 minutes of fiddling with the microphone, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty sad. <laughs> but hey, no, we're going to get some new stuff soon. And uh, it's going to be better. Yeah. So welcome to Deutero Cannon's episode. What is it, Byron? Is it 18? 18, I think. Yeah. I want to say that it that it's 18. And uh, the title tonight is Jesus Wept and Other Words. Uh, and, and what's uh, your name? Well, yeah, that's that's what I was getting to. I thought I'd okay. the title first. I thought you were going to skip it again. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to skip it. And uh, I'm Justin, and with me as always is Byron. Party on, Byron. Party on, Justin. And with us uh, for our, our inaugural Deuterocanons guest is Robert Hyde. So welcome, Robert, to Deuterocanons. How are you doing, Justin? And uh, Robert Hyde, uh, wh- wh- where, where are you from? What do you do? And ha- how did you get here? Uh, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And right now I'm a librarian. <clears throat> is there anything better to be? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, librarian basically means... It means that I have a license to read all the time, and I'm on the clock. (laughs) Does that also mean you have license to shush people? Yes. Is there a lot of that going on? (laughs) It's been pretty quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Like, not a lot of traffic coming through your library, then? A lot, a lot of traffic coming through the library. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and speaking of libraries... People are are still reading books, then. Sorry. You know, and I, I will say this for, for some of my students, like in, in their, I don't know, honor, defense, uh, I'll just say something nice about my students. The first first uh, first semester of the, the year, we read a book that was, and, and I had to just post it online, a, a PDF copy of the book. And that, you know, that, that's just hard. It's hard mm-hmm. to read a book yeah. online. And so then we read another book, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, this semester, and when I broke out the physical copies, several of them just looked at it in awe and and held it and and said, oh, "A real book." <laughs> I thought, man, it, maybe there's hope after all. Yeah. So Robert is part of the reason that that we're even here, actually, because uh, all of these books being in. Uh, Portland, uh, we're, we're used to be in the Portland neighborhood in Louisville, and and they've been here now for for a little while, and uh, we, that's that's through the, the help of of Robert. So Robert, can you tell us a little bit about these books and your history with them? These books are from the private library of R. H. Bull, <clears throat> who was the pastor of the Portland Avenue Church of Christ from the very early years of the 20th century until he passed away in 1956. So he was he was a pastor there for over 50 years. And uh, oh, in that length of time, he accumulated quite a lot of books. Most of these books are theological. And uh, 
he has a just a wide variety of people that you know that you've heard of, read D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, Ari Torrey, uh, Alfred Edersheim, uh, a lot of the 19th century evangelical scholars are on his shelves. Archbishop Trench. Archbishop Trench is a little earlier than that, I yeah. think. Yeah. He has about, uh, I think we have kind of, we have roughly a thousand books here. Wow. A thousand books. And uh, for those of you at, at home who, who might be seeing the visual of this, this is not a, I mean, the, the camera can be conceiving. This, this is actually a, a pretty small room, but we've got, we've got shelves lining the walls and I mean, even going around the, the top and we've still got some more room and to put a plug out for the library, I would say that Robert and I both are very interested in preserving books. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you or anyone, you know, has books of theological nature, or, I mean, I, I don't think that we're really or, into or classical. Yeah. Right. Maybe not Harlequin romance novels. Maybe not. Yeah, you can you can give those to Goodwill or the local dumpster, but the the other stuff, anything that's of theological or historical or literary, or practical value, mm -hmm. right. uh, we're we're definitely interested in preserving. Right, we're collecting uh, all kinds of histories, biographies, um, philosophical works, psychological works, American history. Chinese studies, India, Persia, Jewish history. The gamut. Yeah. 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 Right. Again, anything that, that's of legitimate value. And uh, what would you say is the, the importance of having these things in, in physical copies as opposed, as opposed to, you know, just PDFs online, like a lot of people are doing yeah. these days? Well, I love PDFs online in that you can get easily get a hard copy printout for most PDFs, which is great. Uh, but uh, the, the thing to me is getting that hard copy. I don't think that uh, I don't think that we're we're going to have quite the the ability to to get and and read and download information several years from now that we've enjoyed for the past several years. Uh, I think we're probably at the golden age right now of uh, online learning. Uh, I'm afraid we're going to see some form of, uh, I shouldn't call it censorship. I'll call it uh, unavailability of books online. And so whatever you have in, in your own hand, hard copy is... I think important. So speaking of, of, of words, well, books, and then, and then therefore words, um, there have been times that, that we've been in our, your, our, the Lord's library yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> together and uh, pouring over old dictionaries. Right. And, and, and looking into where words have come from and, uh, I think that that's something that that Byron is also interested in from the from the sermons that he's given or uh, lessons that, that 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 he's taught and conversations that that we've had on here. So, what would you say is the importance 
like why is it valuable to consider what words mean uh because there's a whole field of of study um called etymology which is not to be confused with entomology <laughs> which i think has to do with study of bugs or something is that right yes yeah okay etymology insects is, is the study of uh the the roots and origins of words how they're put together where when what they originally meant how they've changed or maintained themselves over centuries and uh of course that gets into <clears throat> the whole thing when you hear a word um there's a lot of words that we use all the time that are centuries old maybe a thousands of years old that have been spoken in the very same way or with slight variation and then you're talking about when you hear this word it is carrying history with it who was the right. uh, who was the author that talked about uh, oh who is it barfield barfield yeah yeah history in english words yeah you've read that or you read part of it reading it yeah 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 he says uh he says that you can read the history of england by knowing when and where words uh became popular and that's <clears throat> that's partly i think from just going back and and having a thorough knowledge like he did of all of English literature, going back to Chaucer and so forth. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> and you know, and you notice uh, how familiar certain words were, and other words that were rarely used, and so forth, and seeing how they uh, maintained and changed over the course of the centuries. You can go back and understand uh, the lifestyles, uh, the things that were important to the people in those days, and you get you get a sense of the consciousness if that's the right word of the english people and how it developed over time so, so i think it's an important thing so uh byron i i don't remember if he i think he found this term somewhere byron could, could you tell us about uh linguistic theft uh yeah so linguistic theft so i i heard this term from elisa childers she hosts a podcast and i think she actually took it from somebody else. But essentially what it is, is it's taking words that have traditionally meant one thing and uh, <clears throat> altering their meaning uh, for your purposes. And so it's a, it's a tactic of, uh, I guess, as, as far as it concerns us, progressive Christians uh, specifically, um, one, one example she uses uh, in, her, in her podcast, and I guess in her book, uh, she has a book that's called like another gospel or something like that, but it tells about her experience with being deconstructed or uh, an attempt at being deconstructed. And one of the things that she discusses is um, she asked this this pastor of her church, who turns out to be a progressive Christian and 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 can, considers himself a hopeful agnostic. So this is a guy who is a preacher at a Christian, you know, a church, and. Uh, she had asked him at one point if he thought uh, the Bible was inspired. And initially he said yes. And then a couple of weeks later, they're talking again. 
and and it's not sounding like he thinks that and she's like i thought you said you thought the bible was inspired he's like well i mean i do but what i mean by that is this right and so uh he he had a completely different meaning for it and so there's there's a lot of that going on where uh again there's there's worms words that have been used for for a certain uh under a certain definition for a long time that are now kind of being stolen I mean, if you look at like the word equity, that's probably a good example. I mean, that that's a uh, financial term, right? We see what it what it means now. So, uh, what, what would that what would that word? I know that you've you've been you've had to take some some classes in economics. Hmm. So, what's the I guess the textbook definition of of equity in the technical sense? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that much about equity. Okay, we'll fix that in post production. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I mean i think another good example too would be uh how they how we've uh altered the definition of racism to where um it's now part and parcel to uh you know whoever has hegemonic power or what whatever whatever it is that they did with that right it's not one race seeing themselves superior to another um in order for something to be racist now, there has to be the element of power involved. And that's not traditionally what that has meant. So that's how we get these things like systemic racism, uh, et cetera. So it's probably another good example. So I think, Byron, our, our very first episode, isn't that where we where we looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2? Yes, sir. Yeah, and I think that that, that also shows up on <clears throat> our in-house design logo. Mm -hmm. Is conformed no longer. So first we form no longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I think that, that an aspect of that has got to be thinking about words. And since we we do, we we know and we see, we're recognizing you know, like 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 you're talking about that linguistic theft is happening. Words are being redefined right in front of us. And a lot of people are not recognizing that and, and other people are starting to recognize this, but I think that maybe the dots have not yet been connected. I think that that makes it all the more important that we consider the words of scripture. So it's like, if we have this chaos that's function or that, that's, that's coming about through altering language, um, control that that's happening through the manipulation of language it, it seems like an, an antidote to that chaos would be to to go back to original meanings or, or inquire about original meanings and that that's something that, that we're going to take some time to do tonight um in john chapter 11 and other places as they as they happen to come up so john eleven thirty five 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible that, that I know of. We all know it. I remember Steve Hill, Brother Hill. Yeah. It, that was, I think he would always say that was his favorite verse. Jesus wept. But uh, let's let's take a look at that in a little bit of context since since it's only two words. Some context might be a little bit helpful. So uh, to turn there to, to John 11. You know, um, <clears throat> the way the way people handle uh, 
the scriptures and I'll just speak for myself. Other people have had different experiences, but when I was a young Christian uh, going to Christian school and so forth, I like to know facts about things, uh, <clears throat> but not, I, I was unaware, of course I was a child, but I was unaware of the significance of the facts. Like for instance, I, we could, you could remember that uh, Aaron was three years older than Moses. Like that was a significant thing. Well, in a way it is, if the Bible mentions it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, that's not the significant thing about Aaron or about Moses. Uh, and we can take a look at this verse like Jesus wept and, and we can say, oh yeah, well, this is the shortest verse in the Bible. Yeah, it is. And maybe that's significant, but what is it saying yeah what's, what's the point of of the verse not just give me the helmet the letter count or something like that well then let, let, let me bounce this bounce this off of you um so okay it's literally the shortest verse in the bible it it reveals a very basic common thing you know somebody weeping so jesus wept it really happened this is an historical fact it's a scriptural fact and yet at the same time it's symbolic yeah i mean it it it, ha it has meaning that's not separate from i mean that that um grows from or or is grounded in the actuality of its happening um that gets me off on a rabbit trail about symbol. Yeah. When we use the word symbol, what do we mean by that? Um, I think I'm on pretty solid ground to say when you use the word symbol, technically it means that which conveys the whole meaning and substance of the thing being symbolized. Um and, and that gets in, into this idea of the definition of words. If I, if I read the word Jesus, I say the word Jesus, that's a symbol of the reality of the person behind that word. Hmm. It's, it's a symbol is supposed to hold and contain what's being symbolized in other words what i want to say is a symbol is not just a an offhand uh oh well you sort of mean this type of thing it, a, a it's, symbol, it's not an analogy no no uh, it's not a it's not a code as such mm. either it's it, it it it's supposed to carry freight with it yeah um it has weight and freight to it I, you know, what I think is significant about what you're saying, too, and I, I guess I'm just going to think out loud here a second, though, is that it, it's so sneaky and underhanded the way that the devil's working when we're changing, uh, changing the definitions of words. Because like you're saying, we've essentially assigned these sounds that we make with our anatomy to mm -hmm. certain things. They represent right. certain things. Mm -hmm. And that's significant. Uh, What's, what's interesting about that is, um, I think I told you this before, Justin, but there's there's words that are uh, profanity in our language, 
that mean normal things in, you know, the, the language I've learned, Arabic, right? And so, of course, mm-hmm. we go through class and we learn these words and we're all laughing and giggling. But, you know, the, the instructor's kind of sitting there going like, what are you guys doing? But, you know, it's because we know, right? And, and uh, but that's because within our culture, those sounds represent a certain thing. Whereas in this other culture, uh, they mean something completely different. So, do, so, do you mean like the uh, like the phonetic constructions? Yeah. Like okay. We're, gotcha. You're uttering uttering the same sound, and it just has different meanings. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, and 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 so again, like from from especially when it, like in your mother tongue, you've come up understanding that these sounds that you're making mean a certain thing, and now mm-hmm. you want to completely turn that on its head, like it's just <laughs> like it's not fair, is what I feel like, yeah. you know. Hmm. Yeah, that, that that that's a really good point. Um, so sometimes, you know, Byron, you kind of, uh, I guess, plug for, I, I guess, podcasts or or uh, online folks that that you tend to follow, mm-hmm. uh, like like the one that you you mentioned earlier. Was it Childers? Yep, Childers, Childers. Yeah. So one one that I've been following lately is a fellow named Jonathan Pajo. He's a Canadian fellow. He's Eastern Orthodox. He's probably about my age and, and your age. Mm-hmm. And he he talks a lot of uh, is not real. Right. But it is. But the but the <laughs> but the symbol, yeah, it if it conveys the essence of the thing, right, then, then it is a very real thing, especially if what it's symbolizing is also a real thing. So, you know, we have Jesus is a, you know, Jesus is a symbol, right? But he would not be able to be a symbol if he were not actual, right? He is the image of the invisible God, the fullness of the Godhead in him dwells in bodily form. Like, like it says in, in Hebrews. And so, but something that, that Jonathan Pajot talks about that, that I want to give him credit for is the tendency of, of our society, and maybe you could take it all the way back to the garden, but since we're most familiar with, with our own current society, th- this tendency of, of, of inversion. And so one of the ways that that shows up is, ha- have you all noticed how, like with the recent Star Wars movie, it seemed like the point was that Luke's daughter was good and Luke was bad. And the main reason that Luke was bad was by virtue of his maleness. And the main reason that his daughter was good was because of her non-maleness. Or, or you'll, you'll have, um, I, it really happens in, in superhero movies a lot that there's, there, there's this inversion, like, like the, the ones who, who would typically be the heroes are, are intentionally recast as the villains and, mm-hmm. and, and, and vice versa. It's it's this intentional turning, turning um, really tradition, which it, I guess it's deeper than tradition. It, it's really reality ter- trying to turn reality on its head. Mm-hmm. And so, if, if that's what the prevailing culture is doing, if that's the pattern of the world as it's manifesting currently, then what we have to be doing is is setting it back right way up. Yeah. And again, I I think that. One, One of the ways, 
I was telling Robert this, Robert about this earlier, Byron, but I was having my kids at school look at some some etymology. For example, when it comes to uh, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I don't know. Have, have you read that one, Byron? Lion, the Witch, and the uh, Wardrobe, or seen the movie? C.S. Lewis. I, I remember reading it in school. I've seen the movie, and I think we've also I we've read part of it with the kids. I've yeah. I've heard the whole story. Yeah. <laughs> the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you, you know how the, the four kids become royalty at the end they're mm -hmm. crowned kings and queens of narnia yeah. and all that they're also given titles over time you have peter the magnificent susan the gentle um edmund, edmund the just and lucy the valiant mm -hmm. so for example peter is called the magnificent so what i had had my kids look at was the etymology for example of magnificent mm -hmm. which sometimes being a teacher you get to learn things <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I didn't know what mag I, mean, I knew what magnificent meant, you know, that it's like a, an, a, a synonym of how about this? A lot of times we know synonyms, but not definitions. Yeah. But by, by, by digging into etymology, not only do we get the actual definition instead of just the synonym, but we can sort of discover the story from which it sprang. And the, the story with um, with magnificent is that it comes to us in English from French uh, and then from Latin before that. And it's uh, a, like a combination of the Latin word magnus, which is kind of familiar, and facare. So it's magnificare. Magnus means great and facare means deeds or actions. So magnificent means great in, it's an adjective that means great indeed. Not just great in appearance. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not simply great. Because yeah. the, the way that we typically use it is that magnificence simply means great. Right. When we've lost the second half of that, we've lost that it's grounded in action. Yeah. And that's yeah. a significant loss. Like that, that's a loss to our human and spiritual consciousness. But it can be regained. It can be regained through stories that use those words and through curiosity about the words themselves. How are we going to recover the word awesome? <laughs> the most, one of the most overused, yeah. meaningless words. Everything's it, just awesome. It's just totally awesome. It, yeah, it is. But I bet we could find out what awe means. Yeah. I bet it's there. The, the, like the, yeah. the story is the story is still living yeah. however forgotten it might be so speaking of stories john chapter 11 and uh let's see i think i'll take verses 1 through 16 and byron if you could take 17 through 37 and then robert combat i would call it cleanup but it's third we don't have a fourth <clears throat> And uh, th this will give us some context for Jesus wept in John 35. Uh, sorry, 1135. <clears throat> now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death, 
No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there. Jesus answered, are, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was, I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Who is, to come into the, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the tomb. <clears throat> now it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus saith, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time the body decayeth, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Sit I not unto thee, that if thou believest, thou shouldst see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou heardest me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the multitude that stands around, I said it 
that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. So G Jesus wept. So, um, I I've done a little bit of digging in into some of these words, but before I get into that, Robert, what, what made this stand out to you? And what, what, why has this been on your mind lately? Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about the importance of the incarnation. <clears throat> the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And a lot of times people just think about that as uh, the word taking on uh, a human body, but it, it's, it's also the whole personality. It's not just the rational mind or, or the will. It's the emotion. It's the feeling. It's the, uh, the body's response to whatever hormones or chemicals or, or events that are occurring within us. And so I was thinking about the fact that, <clears throat> that the Bible tells us here specifically that Jesus wept. And I was going to kind of riff on that. Uh, what what was what 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 does this tell us about Jesus' emotional life? And mm. what does this tell us about our emotional life with God? But then I, I threw that idea at you, and you did a little research on it. And I would like for you to to tell us what you saw. Yeah. So a, a lot of times when I'm when I'm coming to something, especially something familiar. I try to look at it in a uh, in an interlinear mm -hmm. Bible, which I don't know if anybody out there listening has an actual physical copy of an interlinear Bible. If you do and you don't want it anymore, please don't give it to Goodwill. Please contact us at the Allensville Church of Christ, Allensville, Kentucky, 42202. Sorry, 42204. I just gave you a daredevil. That's the O2. And uh, if you just like send it to Allensville, Christ. I postmaster knows where we are. And, and other than that, the Greek word that's translated as wept, it's the only place in the Bible where it's used. Okay. Like that, that particular Greek verb, nowhere else, which, which fascinated me. And so I, I dug into it a, a little deeper and, and it turns out, so the word is, uh, uh, it's a form of decryo, which I, I think that we might get the word cry from decry. And we even have a word decry, mm -hmm. but it's here, here, what it, what it indicates is, uh, tears, quiet tears the the word uh decryo comes from decry which is a noun and it, and it it means teardrop and so the sense here apparently is that jesus was shedding tears 
characters silently on that, the significance of of Jesus shedding tears silently. So what what, what do you all think? What does that tell us? Why is it important? Can you repeat like the last, I don't know, 10 seconds? Because I, I just had a, an internet glitch here, giving me a little trouble. Okay, yeah. I've, I've actually been, been hearing a, a few of those coming through. So, so what I said is that uh, when it says Jesus wept, that word in Greek that we have translated as wept is, uh, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly since it's Greek, but decryo, uh, something like that. And it's the, the only place in the New Testament where that, where that particular verb shows up. It's from the noun uh, decry, which means teardrop. And so the sense of, of that word that's being used in, in G. So I, I was wanting to, to pause on that for a second and, and think about why that might be significant. Yeah. Well, the contrast, uh, e even here in the story, is that when it said uh, about they thought Mary was going to the tomb, and they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. The word there is to wail, yes. which we get from other stories around that time where people felt like the proper thing to do was to express a loud emotion uh, so that people would understand how you felt about it. But right. that's in contrast to if this is the only place in the New Testament uh, where Jesus wept, that's a contrasting silence. Yes, yeah. 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 So I guess one thing I, I, I wonder then, because in, in my study Bible references Luke 1941, where it says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it. And like in John, I've got a note that says wept. The Greek for this word is not one for loud grief, as in verse 33, but one that denotes quiet weeping, sheds tears. Doesn't mention anything about uh, Luke, but over in Luke it says he wept one of only two occasions when Jesus is to have wept. So I, I'm wondering it must be it must be different in the Greek or something there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, though, um, you know, as far as like what what I think of that. Um, yeah, it's like it's almost like in a movie. This would be like just the quiet. The tear, the tear, the single tear going down the cheeks, perhaps, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think kind of back to Robert's point, like the thing that's interesting about all this is like this idea of him having emotion. Um, and, and like I know, like we we've got you, Justin, and I think we as well, the Travises, have mixed feelings about the Chosen series. Like there's some things about it that are not my favorite. But I think one of the things that they do a good job of doing, and I think that what what you get here as well is when you consider, with, with, with the chosen series. Seth, what'd you say? Yeah, we, we we lost we somewhat lost you for for a moment, but but we could tell that you were talking about the. chosen bad connection yeah 
once again. Hopefully we can fix this in post. You're back though. Yeah, I keep telling my internet connection is unstable because I'm in a hotel. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if I should just try my hotspot. Like I don't know if it would be any better at this point. Because I've had a couple of these on my end where it freezes up. But anyways, what mm -hmm. I was saying is um The Chosen. Yeah, the chosen. So one of the things I like about that series though is like you're looking at these, I'll say, characters, and like you really start to like them. And uh, like if we read through the Bible and we don't consider that, like we don't consider that he was a human and he had emotions and feelings and experienced things, the things we experience, like it can it can be very, I don't know, like vanilla. But I mean, these people are following him around. Like he must have been a pretty uh, like likable person and somebody that people could relate to and, 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 and vice versa, you know? Um, yeah. Did you get all that? Yeah, that, 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 that's a great point. I, I agree with you about what the, like the effect that the chosen has. Have you seen any of the new season? I have. Yep. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. We, we might have to have a whole separate conversation about, <laughs> about the chosen series at some point. I know that, Robert got to, to watch the yeah, first season with us at did. Woodland Bible Camp last year, and we had a lot of good conversations yeah. about it. So what might... Okay, so, so we have the, the details on the page that, that there's the, the loud weeping of Mary and, and the mourners there at the tomb. We have that, that, that detail. We have the detail of, of Jesus almost silently yeah yeah and, and yet very very moved but now, now my question and and i i don't quite have an answer for this so this isn't just a like a, a gotcha sort of thing like oh i know the right answer and you better get it right what does it signify like if if this is you know telling us something significant about jesus what is that significant thing Or what significance can we draw from these narrative details? Maybe the loss of a close friend. Obviously, Jesus <clears throat> had dealt with death a lot before. He he raised the dead here and there, you know, the widow's son and Jairus' daughter and so forth. The difference there maybe was that Lazarus was a personal friend and yeah. and what we're seeing is the proper expression of grief hmm. over the loss of a friend. Hmm. Well, and it's it's kind of like well, what I mean, do you think, Byron? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like we always think about this idea. We, you know, we'll tell each other like, well, yeah, you know, God loves you, right? But I mean, like to me, like mm -hmm. Jesus loved these people, you know. I mean, I think about that other verse about like there being nothing greater than laying your life down for a friend. Like, you know, you, mm -hmm. you got to think that he he really felt that way, you know. And I guess the other thing I, I was kind of pondering as you're talking is the idea of weeping. Like, I mean, I'm sure we've all experienced where you don't want to cry, but you just it's coming whether you want it to or not. And so, you know, <laughs> I don't want right. to say that. Mm -hmm. God is incapable of not crying, I guess, right? Like, I don't, but at the same time, we have God in the flesh here. And like, you know, 
I mean, just, I guess, overcome by this emotion, potentially, at the grief mm-hmm. of the, the mm-hmm. loss of his friend. Yeah. Well, I've thought about this <clears throat> in terms of the, the contrasting um, statement, you know, real men don't cry. Mm. Or uh, you should endure whatever it is with a stiff upper lip. Uh, this kind of uh, it's a it's a cultural uh, viewpoint that's really in contrast with this verse mm. that Jesus uh, was rightly moved, and it was primarily an interior experience that. Overflowed and into expression. Uh, that's a, to me. That's a that's a heavy thing. And I wonder, you know, if people who who think, oh, you shouldn't cry, you should swallow your feelings, and so forth, are doing themselves a, a great disfavor themselves, and by passing that idea along to other mm. people. So, grief is not necessarily a lack of faith, right? And and grief and crying, <clears throat> certainly in this case, it's not self-pity. It's this is this is grief at a real loss. Mm-hmm. Um, Despite the fact that he he Byron go. <clears throat> All right, Harry. See, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, now we yeah, can see. Yeah, we, we got you back. Yeah, it just dropped out like completely. I, I'm. It says it's still recording though, so I think we got all that. Oh my goodness! All right, it, it basically, the hotel internet is has decided that you have a lot more post production work to do than usual. I guess so. <laughs> Unless we just let this, you know, go out raw. Unplugged, yeah. unedited, the director's cut. I think I think we might have to do we might have to do no like might this might be an audio only week, perhaps. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of magic I can do. <laughs> yeah, and, and and that'll that'll be okay. So do you think any of this though is like um I guess two things I was thinking is because at the end of the day, like even if he's able to raise people from the dead dead is not good and so you know he knows that his friend is in a place that is it's not a good place to be right even though he can fix that oh man we're we're buzzing and losing it again yeah we lost you again Uh, i mean we, we have you now okay well, I'll just keep talking. So what I was saying is, do you think there's any of this where it's like death is bad? Yeah, death is bad. You know, even though he can, he knows he can raise him from the dead. He knows that Lazarus is currently in a place that is not good, right? Uh, but then, is there any of this too where he knows what's coming and it's something he's also going to have to face? And maybe there's some, you know, I don't know, anxiety. Yeah. Perhaps. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, death is the final enemy to be overcome. 
So I, I know that's kind of some dead space there, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of letting that, that soak in because that's legitimately something that I, that I hadn't considered at all about, about that passage. Um, something else interesting that, that I found in this passage uh, comes just, just after the bit about Jesus weeping. And in verse 38, when it says, uh, Jesus once more deeply moved. Robert, what, what did your translation say there in verse 38? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, comes to the tomb. Okay, yeah. So that one is, is really interesting in, in the Greek, too. And I, I didn't... Uh, I didn't write down that. Uh, I didn't write down that particular word, but I remember that, that that when I read it, it it didn't it didn't quite ring true with with what with how it's translated at least in the in the NIV. I have a footnote here that says he was being moved with indignation in yes. himself. Yes, 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 yes. Like that's that's it, and that that death that doesn't come through at all when it says <clears throat> deeply moved right. because that that seems like he is. He's moved by by pity, mm -hmm. or or he's moved he's moved by love, mm -hmm. but that footnote is exactly what I got by. He's indignant. Yeah, and and so indignant then at what? Hmm. Uh. See how he loved him, but some of them said. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, indignant <laughs> or moved with indignation, mm -hmm. came to the tomb. I mean, so that, that, that word, knowing what that word means, gives a completely different picture of Jesus's internal state. Mm -hmm. Like his consciousness in in that moment, right? Right. And again, you 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 get that. Like it's it's such a rich detail, right? And and like like why would we want to? You know, Byron, you you're doing, um, or, or you have been, and I guess I'll be carrying that baton for the rest of the month, uh, doing kind of normal Sunday school stories with your with your teen class, but. But going deeper and you know just looking closer, more closely at the text, trying to find those details that that, that are maybe left out in um, maybe modified for for kids type of versions. Yeah. So if we if we have access through the words into not simply like the surface level facts, but in fact deeper into intent and tone and and mood and all of that like wh why wouldn't we want that right well let me let me show you this real quick because okay so 38 deeply moved came to the tomb uh when i look down at my notes it says uh troubled where was it came deeply moved he came to the tomb so 38 it says see verse 33 when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then it also references um, where is it? 
Okay, 1227. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it's for this very reason that I came to this hour. And then it also references 30, 1321. After he had said this, Jesus was hey, troubled. Hey, again, Byron. What's the last thing you heard? And now my heart is troubled. Yeah, so... And what so, shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Right, so <clears throat> this idea of being troubled, it's, it's in the garden when he's alone. And then also, troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And so I'm wondering if there's, there's some more examples where there might have been some indignation where... Uh, with, with those other situations that, again, we kind of miss. We don't understand what those words are. Yeah, and, and that. That, that reminds me, or makes me realize. Yeah, we, yeah, we got it at this time. That makes me realize that, unfortunately, sometimes understanding of Jesus is flat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because our, our read of Jesus is flat. Mm-hmm. Like, just the bare facts. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, the, um, it's the love of rationalism mm. in the church. And yeah. we don't want to be irrational. I'm not making a kick of that. But rationalism tends to look at everything in terms of a clear propositions there's no depth there's no mystery there's no uncertainty nuance uh, nuance variation just just the facts ma'am and uh that gives us a a just your the word is flat it's Mm -hmm. just two-dimensional there's there's not depth to to what's going on yeah and and none of these none of these things cast any aspersions on jesus no I think if anything, they bring him greater glory because it's getting closer to the truth. Right. You know, not, not that we're not that through simply the the written word itself, we can actually enter the the moments. Um, but we almost can, like in the uh, yes in in First John where. John says, we touched him, our, our hands handled him. Uh, you can't, you can't do that, but in your mind, you can, you can, you can see, you can feel them touching Jesus just by the fact that he brings out that detail. Right. And in Hebrews, it says, we don't see him exalted above all all of the angels and crowned with glory mm-hmm. and honor and all of those things yet but it does say but we do see jesus yeah right right I mean, actually no it, do, it does say we see jesus hmm. <laughs> I, I, i'm misquoting and and he, heaven forbid i i misquote uh <coughs> hebrews um but we see jesus oh goodness it's it's early on. It's not verse one. Or it's not chapter one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. chapter two. Uh, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory <clears throat> and honor and put everything under his feet. 
in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace yeah so often the, the depictions of uh portrayal of jesus on stage or on screen that's unsatisfying mm -hmm. and i wonder if that's because it, that, that's just sort of a reflection of the average christian understanding of jesus and and i i count myself in that in that group i mean i don't think that that i sufficiently recognize the the fullness of christ but if we have the words, we have access to more fullness than if we just ignore them and read over them just sort of willy-nilly. And also speaking of rationalism, which I think you're, you're right about that point, if rationalism indicates or uh, prioritizes facts, well, definitions are pretty clear facts. Mm-hmm. So let, let's like accommodate them and integrate them into our, our understanding. Right. I mean, goodness, wouldn't we have, wouldn't we love to, to talk to Jesus? Right. And, and to, to know what, know what he, know how he felt. And, and that's exactly what, what John was getting at. You know, it's like, this is so tangible, but there's more tangibility than what we're giving the scriptures credit for. So uh, one another example of this that I, I, I recall from another, a sermon I heard one time that I'd never considered, you know, I, I, I don't know if this story is elsewhere, but I know it's in Matthew. So when John Baptist is beheaded, right, and, and Jesus finds out about it in the very next section, which is entitled Jesus Feeds the 5,000, the first thing it says is when Jesus heard what had happened, so this is hearing about his cousin being beheaded. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And so whoever it was that, that preached the sermon where, where this was brought up did a great job of kind of going like, so think about this. He's just been told that his cousin, not only his cousin has been killed, but like in a very brutal way for a very like, you know, mm -hmm. silly reason, right? And he just wants to go be alone for a little bit. But these people like chase him. Like, how difficult must it have been to get up and perform this miracle of feeding the five thousand when you just want to go away and mourn the loss of your cousin? You know, and I just mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting because again, it's, it's another insight into the humanity of this. I mean, I guess the person of Jesus that I've never really considered. I'm thinking back to that Greek word <clears throat> that was translated indignation and the fact that that, that um, does change your thinking about mm -hmm. what's going on in that episode. <clears throat> and this comes back to words are symbols and they should symbolize the, the fullness of whatever it is. And so you need a series of good words that convey 
as absolutely much of what's going on as you can. Otherwise, it's like like we say, it's it's plain vanilla. It's, uh, hmm. it's things are smoothed down, glossed over. Yeah. There's no uh, there's no sandpaper in the in the story uh, because we just take it as being uh, well. We recite it in a in a nice way and and. Uh, our passage for today is this and, yeah. and so forth. And, and uh, it's hard for us to get into that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, of, of course, even our, our, our perception of reality is ordered and constrained by our, our assumptions and our, our values because we can't, we can't attend to everything. Right. We, we don't have the capacity. And so it seems like if, if there's, if, if hierarchies of value are completely inescapable, like th there have to be things that are of greater importance than other things. Right. Otherwise everything is just a, a total wash. Right. Just meaningless chaos, tohu and bohu. Right like it says in, in Genesis 1. So if, if we take that recognition that, that for us to communicate something, the way in which we communicate it reveals our hierarchy of, of values. And if we, if we take that into the scriptures to recognize that, okay, so these words are symbols that are not simply indicating like they're not going to indicate every factual thing about an event, but it, but it, but the, the particular selection of words um, inspired by the Holy spirit will also give us a value structure. Right. Highlights. Yes. Like inspired <clears throat> highlights and shadows. Right. The, and, and it's not simply to say that, they're the ones that are the most important because I think the word importance sometimes comes across a little bit shallow, mm -hmm. shallowly. But if you think about a hierarchy of value, these words, um, how about I use the word privilege? These words indicate what the Lord by the Holy Spirit is privileging about this particular event. Mm -hmm. And so it's insight into God's values, what he, what he says that we should attend to, which is really at the heart of the whole message of Jesus, because like you remember how Andrew, for example, said, come and see. Mm -hmm. And I think that Philip said that too, didn't he? Didn't he say that to Nathaniel? Come and see. Mm -hmm. Attend to this. Yeah. I was thinking, pay attention. Pay attention. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and so all oh. of all of the words that, that, that we have here are what we're supposed to pay attention to yeah. out of all of the other, um, you know, like the infinite possibilities of existence. Like this is this is it. Yeah. What, what were you going to say, Byron? Yeah, I, I was thinking, thinking about... I think this relates to what you're saying, but this idea again of the logos, right? In the beginning was the word. And Jordan Peterson talks about that how mm -hmm. so yeah. God spoke things into existence with truth, right? 
And so just the importance of, of truth and how when words are used with their intended definition, like with the appropriate definition, then you, you are speaking truth. And so when people begin to tamper with those definitions, like they're, they're undermining truth. Right. And so, uh, um, it's almost like, again, it's just the, the crafty and underhandedness of, of, of the devil. And it's not, it's not the straight, like I said, I think it's a couple of weeks ago, it's not the straightforward little man with horns thing. Right. Ooh, internet connection is unstable. Did you hear all that? <laughs> yeah, we, we did actually. Okay, good. That was it. <laughs> okay. I, I think you're, you're exactly right. And I think that Jordan Peterson, like you mentioned, and, and really anybody who is stating that truth matters is really important. I mean, it's a light in a, in a dark place or, or, a, or a dark time. It's also enormously humble like significantly humble to to say that there is transcendent truth because you have to simultaneously admit that if that truth is transcendent that you don't apprehend all of it right and so you yourself become a symbol you become a sign pointing to that which is beyond you right and it's our faith as believers in Jesus that he is that truth he he is the the, the logos and so, I mean, and, and the angels have this figured out. You see that in, in Revelation. They don't bow before me. Like, I'm, I'm just a servant mm -hmm. like you are. Like, wor worship worship Jesus. Um, yeah, which is to say that that which is good and true is beyond us. And yet we can participate in it to the extent that we attend to it. To the extent that we pay attention to it, agree with it and enact it. So there's a whole lot in, in those in those two words. Jesus wept. We've uh, we've talked about Jesus a good bit. We've talked about weeping. We've talked about the significance of of Jesus weeping and and other things in, in this passage that really bring him to life as much as words can. And while we wait for him to come back, it's really good to have good words that bring him to life. I don't know. You got anything else, Byron? No, I don't think so. Robert, final thoughts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this again. Let's do this again. <laughs> With better internet. Connection. Yeah. <laughs> With better internet connections. Yeah, we'll we'll work on that in the interim. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Robert, it's uh it's customary for us to end with a prayer. And uh would you mind? I'd love to. All right. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that we have to just um share with each other um, truths and ideas and facts 
perceptions that move us and to be able to find uh, kindred spirits, people who love you and are in the business of seeking to serve you and to fulfill our missions. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.